I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Story time. It was late November night. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 1994. And my husband and I decided to go hiking to Bagby Hot Springs in Oregon. The weather was chilly, and a thick layer of snow covered the ground. 
We were both excited to get away from the city and immerse ourselves in the tranquility of nature. As we hiked along the well-trodden trail, I noticed something peculiar, barefoot tracks in the deep snow. The tracks were quite large, about 14-16 inches long and 6-8 inches wide at the ball. What struck me as odd was the absence of any claw marks and the fact that the smaller toes seemed almost non-existent. The stride was long, and the tracks followed a generally straight line up the trail, although they occasionally crossed back over, as if the creature had doubled back. I decided not to mention the tracks to my husband, who was a skeptic when it came to anything out of the ordinary. Surprisingly, he didn't bring them up either. We continued our hike, but my curiosity about the tracks only grew stronger. As we neared the hot springs, we encountered a park ranger named Jake. I couldn't help but ask him if he had seen or heard anything unusual in the area. He was a tall, sturdy man with a weathered face that suggested he had spent years working in the wilderness. Jake looked at me thoughtfully for a moment before replying, you know, I've heard some stories from other hikers about strange tracks in the snow. I've seen them myself a few times. Some folks think it's a prank, while others believe it might be something more mysterious, like a Bigfoot. My husband chuckled at the mention of Bigfoot, but Jake didn't seem to find it amusing. Look, I can't say for sure what's making those tracks, but I'd advise you both to be careful out here, he warned. The wilderness can be unpredictable, and it's best to stay alert. We thanked Jake for his advice and continued on our way to the hot springs. The rest of our hike was uneventful, but the memory of those tracks lingered in my mind. The sun was just beginning to set as I arrived at the ridge overlooking the lower Malala River. I was a cryptid investigator, and I had spent countless weekends exploring the wilderness, searching for evidence of unknown creatures. This particular weekend, I was intrigued by the recent reports of strange rapping noises coming from this area. As I set up my camp, I noticed an unsettling lack of game, especially considering it was hunting season. With my gear ready and a sense of anticipation building, I settled in for the night, listening carefully for any unusual sounds. As darkness enveloped the landscape, I suddenly heard it, a distinct rapping on a tree not too far from my campsite. Excited, I grabbed a branch and began to rap out my own patterns in response. Over the course of 15 minutes, I heard raps coming from three other locations, each with their unique patterns, a series of two raps followed by a pause and then three raps, transitioning from a slow to a fast beat. One of the sounds was oddly dull, as if it were made by pounding on a rotten log. Then, just as suddenly as they began, the rapping sounds ceased. I continued to rap out my own patterns throughout the rest of the weekend and into Monday, but there was no further response. On my last day in the area, I decided to explore the surrounding woods and came across a park ranger named Lori. I told her about my experience with the rapping sounds and asked if she had any insights or theories. Well, Lori began, I've heard those rapping noises too, and I've always wondered if it might be another hunter or a child playing around. But I've also considered the possibility that we might be communicating with an unknown species. It sounds like something straight out of Star Trek, doesn't it? We both laughed at the comparison, 
But the idea of communicating with a mysterious creature was both thrilling and unnerving. As I packed up my gear and prepared to leave the ridge, I couldn't help but feel a sense of wonder and curiosity. The rapping sounds remained unexplained, and the thought of an unknown predator lurking in the woods continued to haunt my imagination. As I drove away from the lower Malala River, I promised myself that I would return someday, hoping to unravel the mystery behind the rapping sounds and uncover the truth about the enigmatic creatures that may dwell within the depths of the forest. My grandfather told me the story about the eerie incident that made him quit being a ranger. My grandfather used to work to be a park ranger in Uganda and had many stories to tell us about misbehaving teenagers who thought it was funny to stay illegally in the park overnight, white supremacist tourists who think they could hunt any time, and even indigenous people who believe the land belonged to them. But this time, he told me the story why he resigned from being a ranger, as he thought it was old enough to hear this creepy story, and after hearing it, I'm thankful for him quitting or else I probably wouldn't be here today. One day, he and his co-worker, we'll call him Sam, went out to patrol at night. As they were walking, they saw a very high unusual amount of snake activity everywhere. Ignoring it, they continued on their job, and they had heard multiple trumpets of elephants and saw many zebras running in no particular direction just away from the place that he and his co-worker were going deeper into the depths of the forest. They assumed that it was somebody, possibly teenagers, causing trouble. This made them cautious and alert for danger. They continued going deeper in with their rifles loaded and lamps in front of them. Then, they saw a blue shimmery light glowing in the shape of a circle in the forest. It looked to be like a portal. My grandfather had advised his co-worker to examine it. As Sam leaned in to touch it, he was immediately sucked in like a vacuum. Now, I'm not relating Derek to trash, but who touches a portal? After waiting a few moments for Derek to come out, but as expected, he didn't. My grandfather ran away from the portal and towards the cabin of rangers. There, he shared this unnatural incident with the rest of the rangers who slept there. They collectively decided to go check it out the next morning. The next morning, they went to the same place when my grandfather saw the portal. There was no portal and no sign of Derek either. His co-workers then did not believe him and said that Derek must have slipped drugs and hallucinated the whole thing. My grandfather resigned after that. He did not want to see more supernatural incidents happening and also did not want to die. And there was a huge cover-up that happened with Derek and him disappearing. Is he still alive in some alternate universe? Did he turn into something like a ghost? Is he dead? Nobody knows. It was a early morning in September as I walked through the dense forest, about a quarter mile off Wildcat Mountain Road. I was on a mission to track the movement of an elk herd that returned to this area every seven days to feed. The sun had just begun to peek through the trees, casting a golden glow on the forest floor. I had been hiking for a while when I met a seasoned hunter named Joe. He was also tracking the elk and had been doing so for years. We decided to team up and continue our observation together. As we moved deeper into the woods, 
Joe shared fascinating stories about his experiences as a hunter and his encounters with various wildlife. Suddenly, from the next canyon over, we heard a high-pitched whistle that pierced the stillness of the morning air. The sound was incredibly loud and lasted for about 20 seconds. Joe, being very familiar with the sounds of the forest, was puzzled by this whistle. He assured me that it was neither an elk nor a cat. The peculiar whistle set off a frenzy of barking from dogs at nearby homes, which continued for about five minutes. Joe and I exchanged worried glances before deciding to cautiously investigate the source of the strange sound. As we approached the next canyon, we stumbled upon something we never expected to see, a large, hairy creature standing on two legs, its eyes fixed on us. We were both frozen in shock, unable to move or speak. The creature appeared to be a Sasquatch, a legendary being that had been the subject of countless tales and rumors but never proven to exist. The Sasquatch seemed just as surprised to see us, and it let out another high-pitched whistle before disappearing into the dense forest. Joe and I stared at each other in disbelief, our hearts pounding in our chests. We knew that we had just witnessed something extraordinary, something that would change the way we viewed the world and the creatures that inhabited it. The encounter with the Sasquatch overshadowed our original mission to observe the elk herd, and we spent the rest of the day discussing our experience and pondering the existence of this mysterious creature. As we parted ways, Joe and I agreed to keep our encounter a secret, knowing that most people would dismiss our story as a fabrication or an exaggeration. But deep in our hearts, we knew the truth, we had come face to face with a legend, a creature that had eluded mankind for centuries. And although our encounter was brief, it would remain etched in our memories for the rest of our lives. On August 1, 1987, I, Officer Torgan, responded to a call about a possible drunk driver. When I arrived at the scene, a white male in his early 20s took off running. The incident occurred around 1 a.m. along Highway 44 near Ellington, Missouri. I requested backup and began searching the area, but I couldn't find any footprints or tire tracks that the suspect might have left behind. I remember thinking, this is one of the strangest things I've ever put in a report. I returned to my patrol vehicle when suddenly I heard a high-pitched humming sound. To my shock, a large humanoid creature with an extremely fit and strong build stood before me. Its eyes were a deep, piercing black, resembling the pupilless appearance of a shark. The creature's arms hung down, giving it an ape-like look, while its head was humanoid in shape. The nose was pushed flat against its face with a heavy brow, perhaps from a fall during its lifetime. Its wide mouth was filled with numerous tiny, razor-sharp teeth. Long strands of stringy hair hung from the back of its head, reaching midway down its back. I observed that the creature seemed to have been living in the woods, as its skin was dirty, matted, and gray. It stood about eight feet tall and had very wide shoulders, maybe twice the width of a human's. I was so frightened by the sight that I didn't even think to pursue it. Instead, I simply got back into my patrol car, returned to the station, and filled out a report which I never intended to release, at least publicly. I described the creature as one of the strangest things I've ever put in a report. When it stood before me, 
It looked like something right out of a horror movie. I know for certain that I saw something very unusual on the night of July 26th while driving home from work. I hadn't been drinking and was completely sober. I also don't drink caffeine or take any type of stimulant or depressant drugs. When my wife saw the tracks, she initially thought they were left by a bear, but we later learned there were no bears in the area. In our front yard, we have a large maple tree with low-hanging branches. The creature I saw at the window was definitely not a bear. It stood on two legs, very unlike how a bear stands, and reached with its arms as if to touch me. It was only about five feet away from the window when we made full eye contact. The experience was terrifying. I don't know for sure what I saw, and my wife is just as certain that she saw it too. I've never seen any type of creature resembling that thing before in my life, and I hope to never see one again. Clearly, I'm not alone in this experience, as others like Officer Torjan have shared similar stories. There are things out there that defy the world we live in. Maybe shows like X-Files and Twilight Zone had it right. It was a bright morning as I walked through the forest, enjoying the fresh air and the beauty of nature. I had just started working as an assistant to park ranger Susan, who was a seasoned veteran with years of experience in the field. She had a keen eye for spotting unusual wildlife and was eager to teach me everything she knew. As we reached the area east of the junction of Highway 211 and Unger Road, Susan suddenly stopped in her tracks and pointed to something up ahead. Squinting my eyes, I saw a large, black-brown creature crossing the path from left to right. It was very hairy, and the top of its head appeared to be rounded rather than pointed. I was astonished, as I had never seen anything like it before. The creature stopped, spun around, and looked directly at us. Its gaze was intense, and we couldn't help but feel a shiver down our spines. I could tell that Lori was just as surprised as I was and we were both eager to investigate further. We cautiously followed the creature about 30 feet into the forest. However, the dense foliage and our growing unease made us increasingly anxious, and we decided to return to the safety of our vehicle. As we made our way back, Susan shared stories of previous hoax cases involving a so-called dogman that would run away, jump into a car, and take off laughing. However, there was no side road at this site, which made our encounter all the more puzzling. Back at the car, Susan and I discussed the strange creature we had seen. Neither of us could identify it, and we were left with more questions than answers. Was it a new, unknown species, or perhaps a misidentified known animal? Or maybe it was something even more mysterious, a creature that defied explanation. Our encounter with the unknown creature sparked a newfound curiosity and sense of wonder within me. Working alongside park ranger Susan, I knew that I would have many more opportunities to explore the mysteries of the forest and the incredible creatures that call it home. This happened to my mom, back in the late 70s. First of all, we live in an area in the south that is known for beautiful lakes, rivers, ponds and woods. Due to the beautiful bodies of water and wooded areas, we have state parks, city parks, etc. And many of them near the water. 
There is a state park in our area, which was established in the 60s. This park is located on a river and it is down a long dirt road through the woods. There are no houses nearby. The park is a huge grassy area facing the river, with rustic-looking picnic tables, big oak trees and a rustic building with bathrooms. When my mom was young, the state park service had some type program where teenagers could work for the summer. She was happy to get in the program and make some money, jobs were not plentiful in our area. Her job for the summer was to be the lifeguard at this particular state park. She loved the river, so she was happy. On weekends, the park was full. On weekdays, many times, no one came down there and when anyone did show up, it might be like one family, possibly two. So, this was a weekday. It was morning and no one was at the park except my mom. The lifeguard chair was not like most, it was handmade rough wood, to keep up with the rustic design of the park and it was not up very high. This is relevant, since no one had shown up at the park, my mom settled in her rustic uncomfortable lifeguard chair with a good book. Some guy seemed to show up out of nowhere. She looked up from her book and he was just kind of there. He was wearing dirty jeans and no shirt and looked generally unkempt, but in our area, that look was not necessarily unusual. She asked could she help him and he asked her if he could skinny dip in the river. She thought he was just joking around and of course, she told him no. She was feeling a little creeped out, because no one was there except her and him. But the rangers usually rode down every couple of hours and circled through the park, so she knew they were subject to show up at any time. Anyway, after telling this guy he could not skinny dip, he stripped down to his boxer shorts and dove into the water. My mom was more than a little freaked out at this point, she was and is a tiny person, at the time 5 foot 2 and 115 pounds. Well, while she is looking around nervously hoping a ranger, or anyone will come driving up, the guy gets out of the water. Of course, being wet and wearing only boxers, my mom could see everything he had. He walks up to the lifeguard chair and asks my mom if she wants to go out in the woods and have sex with him. She is really scared now and she said no and asked him to leave. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he reaches up, remember, the chair is not very high, and puts his hand on her leg and basically lets her know he would and could force her. She looked around and as luck would have it, she saw one of the rangers driving up. She jumped out of the lifeguard chair and ran toward the road and toward the ranger. The guy disappeared. The rangers looked for him and never could find him. For the rest of the summer, the rangers patrolled a lot more and my mother never saw the creepy guy again. She said it was one of the scariest moments she ever had. I now live in southeastern Pennsylvania which was the hotspot of a UFO flap in 2008. Just a few miles away from my current residence, we had one of the greatest UFO encounters. However, I will leave that for another day. In the early 60s, the small suburb of San Juan outside the city of Manila was visited by several UFO sightings, and later what is now referred to as Mothman. I was born and raised in that little suburban town about three miles from where these series of sightings took place. When I was about a year and a half old, 
My parents moved to a townhouse apartment in the small hamlet of Little Bugio near San Juan. It's a picturesque Spanish-type suburb with stucco houses with red tile roofs inhabited by the well-to-do, with tended gardens. In between these homes ranch-style and townhouse-type apartments were randomly scattered. It was in one of these apartments where the haunting of my father started. As my mother and uncle faithfully recounted, my father would retire to his study as a writer of books and poems to sit at his typewriter in the fading twilight after dinner. Outside his den, a creek could be seen running the length of the house through a huge jalousied window. One evening, according to their recollection, a distinct hum could be heard. As my father paused from his typing, he glanced out the fading light of the twilight to behold a nine-foot being standing with a black cape in the shadow of a large tree perched at the edge of the creek. The creature was jet black, with the cape glinting in the starlight like leather. As my father backed away from his desk to observe the creature, he noticed a face take form with red eyes and a mask of menace. The creature had horns like a goat and long face that exuded deep horror. My uncles who were close to my father recalls the night my father had ran from the room in fear, he had believed he was hallucinating the events, only to find the creature hanging one night like a bat from the breadth of the expansive den window. It was looking down at him in menace. As they ran to the room, they were overcome by a sense of foreboding and sadness. Upon arrival, the creature had already disappeared, to be replaced by a full moon and the sound the water in the creek. One night, several months later, my father refused to sleep, fearful the creature would enter his dreams. My mother set up vigil with a live-in servant, a young woman who believed the creature was a demon. As my father finally slept with my mother sipping tea in the next room, a yell ensued from the maid who had entered my father's den to check on a scratching noise. As my mother rushed into the room, she finally sighted the creature. It hung, bat wings spread, the breadth of the window which was about 10 to 12 feet in length, glaring pointedly at my mother as she approached. Fearful but determined to confront the creature which haunted her husband, she reached for a cross on the opposite wall and charged the window with it, praying the Our Father as she approached. In the darkness, the creature folded into itself, cloak and all into the ground under the window and disappeared. The local priest was consulted and blessings were attempted on the apartment and on my father. However, oppressed by the continuous haunting, my father finally committed S as a means of escape. That same night, my mother tucked my belongings with me and fled, never returning to the apartment. The creature followed us to my grandmother's house where a priest held mass and blessed the house and all of us. At some point, the sightings of the creature finally stopped, it was only my mother and the maid who saw it, but other ghosts continued to haunt the town, a scene of much bloodshed in World War II when the Japanese invaded the town. That was my first encounter with the unknown. I had always been fascinated by the stories my Native American friend, Tall Bear, would share with me about the legends and myths of his people. As a lover of the outdoors, I would often join him on his expeditions into the wilderness, seeking adventure and learning about the ancient traditions and beliefs of his tribe. One day, Tall Bear invited me to accompany him to a remote area of the forest where he had discovered something unusual. 
he had found a 25-30 foot section of barbed wire fence knocked down, and one of the goats from a nearby farm was missing. Intrigued, I agreed to join him in investigating the strange occurrence. As we made our way through the dense forest, Tall Bear shared with me some of the eerie stories of unknown creatures that were said to roam the land, creatures that defied explanation and were deeply rooted in his people's folklore. Upon reaching the site, we found the goat lying on the ground with a broken neck, its bowels missing, and its tongue sticking out. The sight was gruesome, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of dread wash over me. Tall Bear, however, remained stoic, carefully examining the area for any clues as to what could have caused such a horrifying scene. The next day, we returned to the site to continue our investigation, only to find the goat's lifeless body hanging over a low tree limb. As we carefully inspected the surrounding area, we discovered enormous 16-inch tracks leading away from the scene. The tracks were unlike anything we had ever seen before, and we couldn't help but wonder if we had stumbled upon evidence of one of the unknown creatures from Tall Bear's stories. Determined to learn more, we decided to follow the tracks deeper into the forest. As we ventured further, the air grew colder, and a sense of unease settled over us. We couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched by something unseen, something lurking just beyond our line of sight. Despite our growing fear, we pressed on, driven by our curiosity and the hope of discovering the truth behind the mysterious tracks and the fate of the unfortunate goat. As we delved deeper into the heart of the forest, I couldn't help but feel a newfound respect for the ancient stories and wisdom of Tall Bear's people. The unknown species we were tracking may have been the stuff of legends, but our pursuit of it was as real as the ground beneath our feet. Whatever we would find at the end of the trail, I knew that our journey together had brought us closer to the mysteries of the natural world and the secrets of Tall Bear's ancestors. And in that moment, as we stepped further into the unknown, I felt a profound connection to the land, its creatures, and the rich tapestry of stories that had shaped the lives of generations before us. I was jarred back to memories of when I was growing up in New York. I must have been 12 to 14 years of age, having several reoccurring instances that I took for vivid dreams. The dreams include several periods of paralysis that would always end with my choking for air and on most occasions vomiting. In these states I would be asleep in my bed facing up, I would open my eyes and find that I was drawn to one particular section of my ceiling and I couldn't take my eyes off the area. I would feel the room expand. I may have a better word for this later but expansion was definitely one of the senses I was having. I would then begin to rise straight up parallel to the ceiling and go through what would be an ever-expanding blackness. I can remember seeing myself even though I was still face up, it was like having a vision of myself instead of actual sight. I would then proceed to feel cold, very cold and eventually there would be stars. After seeing the stars everything would eventually go black and the next vision I would have would be of myself on top of a large ORB, it was as if I was one with it or molded with it because it seemed that my body was flush with its surface. I want to say it was silver but it may be that my mind just saw it as a huge BB. I am in a massive chamber that went on and on forever, no light, no things to gauge distance. At this point the same things would always happen, 
I would start to move away from myself my vision of this always had me seeing myself from over my left shoulder. As I moved further away from the place of the B&B's dock I would begin to fade, disappear, and the choking would begin. At first it was just hard to breathe then I would be very aware of what was happening to my body that was left behind in my bed and that is when the puking would begin. The more faded I became the worse the choking would get and eventually I would wind up back in my room with a rushing of great speed. These events happened to me infrequently at first but then began to escalate. My feelings were that whatever was doing this no longer cared about whether or not I believed it to be a dream or not. It didn't help that I didn't have a family member that would listen to me as they never experienced anything. When this happened the home always seemed empty or totally devoid of life other than my own. This thing happened to me for what seemed like years. During those years I went through a lot of behavioral issues violence, bedwetting, dissociation of family. I was then confronted with the faceless women. The same events would happen but instead of going off to the void all the time, I would be brought to a huge chamber. Again very black no light at least none that could be explained or truly seen. In this chamber I would be in a circle of about 15 to 20 apparently mature women, they were spread out about arm's length apart and I would float in the middle of the circle and be asked to choose my mother, I would look around at all of them and they were all very similar. As I would try to see them better I would either move closer to the one I thought was my mother or just concentrate on the face. When I looked at their faces they were always missing, gone or blurred like an old black and white TV screen. It was impossible to choose and when I did I would always begin gasping and choking and would be told to pick again. This would go on and on without ever having an answer or an end. I'm not quite sure at what stage of my life this finally ended but as I get older it gets easier for me to remember these details. My story takes place in the fall of 1978. I was 12 years old and myself and three other kids were walking along a trail along a bean field near our old childhood woods. The woods surround this bean field and we were, we had our heads down looking on the trail looking for used shotgun shells and such. We used to collect them as kids so we weren't paying attention to what our surroundings were. All of a sudden, one of the kids went running by me screaming and yelling, taking off in the opposite direction. I had my back turned to whatever he was running from. I turned around and the other two kids went running by me yelling, run, run, run. And I looked up and about 25 to 30 feet away from me was this headless figure standing there. I froze. I was like, for like five seconds, I was staring at this thing. And I got a good look at it and the first thing I noticed was that it was wearing one of those shoulder bullet belts, like from the movie The Good, The Bad and the Ugly, Nuri says, you mean, like the banditos used to wear, yeah, yeah, right. And I didn't see a weapon or anything and, obviously, it had no head. And it looked like it was wearing some type of uniform. It was an old Civil War type uniform. It had black boots up to its knees. I stood there for a second before I took off. I was just in shock and this figure slowly raised its arm and it pointed its finger at me. And I got a good look at its hand and it was pale white like it was dipped in flour. I can remember it like it was yesterday. 
And I took off running finally and ran into the woods where this other kid was hiding and we watched as this figure walked alongside the bean field where we were standing and it went off across the trail into the other side of the woods and it disappeared. A husband and wife taking a scenic drive through the Ligonier Valley saw something very strange and unexpected on the afternoon of November 23, 2015. At about 2 p.m., they were traveling on a rural road about two miles from Ligonier. The driver of the car noticed some movement in some bushes on the right side of the road. Suddenly an animal exited the bushes and began to trot from right to left in front of the vehicle. The driver stopped about 10 to 20 feet from the animal to obtain a better look. The couple was startled by what they were seeing. This was no ordinary animal, as they could see the outline of the shape of the animal, but it was not solid and there was no color or fur observed. The husband as soon as he saw the creature thought that it was somewhat like a fox but could not be sure since no physical features could be seen. His wife also agreed that it was a four-legged creature similar to a fox. The body of the animal was estimated to be about 18 inches to 24 inches long and had a tail that was about one quarter or half the length of the body. The animal was a lot smaller than a deer. The husband told me that the creature had a smoky veil shape. His wife, however, got a better and longer look at the animal as it entered the road and trotted in front of the car. She told me that she could see through it, and that there was a specific area within the body shape that was like an energy pattern. It was like a smoky heat wave. They watched as the animal continued to cross the road and entered some brush on the left side of the road and was not seen again. The couple didn't hear any sound or notice any smell during the 4 to 5 seconds observation. Let me begin by saying that I am currently on mobile and this may or may not end up in a confusing format. Another important thing I should add is that my parents still, to this day, do not know about the events that are about to unfold and only three people know the very brief summary of this story. Congratulations on being the first to know. At the beginning of my fifth grade year, I was 10 years old. I lived in the north suburbs of a major city in the US and it was a generally peaceful and quiet town. Not much happened in my neighborhood and there were plenty of kids but I had always been a bit of a paranoid kid and my parents wanted to keep me on a short leash. That being said, I always had a cell phone and a walkie-talkie on me at all times. Cell phone to help contact anyone by any means, and a walkie-talkie to contact my parents very very quickly. Early September. Circa 2007, I was always riding my bike through my neighborhood and Oma bike path that wound around a forest and through a park near my house. Off of this path, there was a cute little creek that, on this particular day, I decided to stop and watch. I threw some rocks in and listened to the noise it made and watched the wildlife. It hadn't been more than 10 minutes when a middle-aged Mexican man had rode up on his bike and attempted to strike up a conversation with me. Hey, what are you up to? He asked in a very thick accent. I was a very awkward and shy little thing. I was always very cautious of interaction and I was far too naive to understand what was going on at this point. I thought that maybe this guy was a ranger and I was about to get in trouble for disturbing the wildlife, so I very awkwardly responded oh I just throwing rocks in. 
I love watching the ripples. And he nodded his head and we stood in silence for about a minute. Now the alarms in my head start going off. If he was a ranger or any authority figure, a head nod shouldn't have been a response or something along those lines. He motioned his hand in the direction of the forest, began to mount his bike, and in his thick accent said follow me. I wasn't dumb and my heart was pounding. I quickly pulled out my cell phone and pretended to read a text from my parents and said that I had to go home. He insisted I go with him and tried to prevent me from leaving but I pedaled away down the bike path. As stated before, I was no dummy. Knowing fairly well, I knew this creep could easily follow me home, I didn't go to my house. This particular path ran east and west and ended about one block east and was right between two houses. The very last house on this path on the north side belonged to my best friend at the time, Damaris. I rode the path to her house and hurriedly knocked on her door. I didn't have the heart to tell her what was going on, so I told her I was out and just wanted to play. She was letting me inside when I looked back out and noticed the same man in a truck cruise by, smiling and waving. It shook me up quite a bit, but I figured that, since this wasn't my house, he'd never see me again. Damaris' house had a glass storm door on the outside of the actual door, so they'd leave the actual door open, but leave the storm door shut so no one could get in, but we could still see out. Imagine our surprise when, not even an hour later, the same man with the same truck cruised by slowly again, but this time, with a buddy, another middle-aged Mexican man. They both smiled but the original man was pointing me out to his buddy. I was really panicking at this point but kept my cool as to not freak out Damaris and her family. That night, I had stayed over at her house past dark so my parents would have no choice but drive to pick me up instead of ride home alone. Things returned to normal for about a week. I hadn't seen that man or that truck at all and I don't think he ever did see my real house. But when school started the next Monday, things got weird. I was at my bus stop before anyone else because I was a punctual little shit. There it was. The same truck came rolling by. The same tan-colored, rusty, ugly pickup truck with the same man. I began to panic but I was completely unsure of what to do. I just kind of paced and back further and further away from that side of the street. As he neared the stop sign, I could tell he wasn't paying attention to me. I don't know if he was ignoring me or just didn't recognize me or what, but he wasn't paying attention to me. The windows in his truck were down and I could smell the inside. It was disgusting. There are no words to describe the putrid odor that leaked through those windows and spilled for 20 yards to my nostrils. I noticed, that inside, he was doing something strange with his hands. It was a strange juggling motion with his hand and there was a very strange white liquid being sprayed around in the front seat but he ignored me and that's all that mattered to me at that point. I was safe and that's how things carried on for about two months after that incident. Near the end of this man's strange daily drive-by rituals, I remember saying something vague to a teacher about it and I had been asked a few questions and then left alone about it. The next week, as suddenly as it had began, the drive-by stopped. I was absolutely relieved and happy that I didn't have to see this man ever again, but there was something uneasy about the way everything seemed to stop. 
It wasn't until I was about 14 or 15 that I had learned what it was that he was doing in his car every morning. He had been masturbating every time he had passed me. I don't know whatever became of that man, nor do I care. I am lead to believe that he was found out and locked up in jail for the rest of his life and I certainly do hope that is the case. Whatever it is that happened to him, I hope it was awful. Okay, so back in 2008, when I lived in Kentucky, we went for a weekend up at a campground about two hours from our house. Twin Knobs was my favorite place to go all through childhood. It had a little beach set up right at the lake where a good portion of the visible water was buoyed for swimmers. This particular time, my cousin Anna had come along with us. We were swimming out to the border when we spotted this old man. Not thinking anything of it, we continued to wait around. I looked back and saw the old man swimming under the boundary line, then popping back up to laugh like a lunatic. I gave my cousin the look and we made our way back to shore as unnoticeable as possible. I looked behind me to see the freak with his mouth underwater, following us insanely close. I yelped and we made a mad dash to my mom on the shore. We ran over to tell the lifeguard. He was about 18 or so and looked almost hungover. We pointed out the guy, who was still in the water, and he told us he couldn't do anything about it because he hadn't seen him. Just then, the guy came out of the water in a speedo and laid down on the sand. The lifeguard laughed and said old coot thinks he's hot. We rolled our eyes and went back to my mom, carefully avoiding the sight of the freak. We got lunch and then walked up the hill to leave. Just as we got to the car, Anna looked over and saw the old guy on the ground, naked. He was sticking his hand under a car tire. He got up and did this about three more times to different cars until he came back up with a key. My mom was on the phone with 911 while we all hid behind a random SUV. He unlocked the car and sat inside. It was a silver Volvo with a sorority sticker on the back. He got out of the car with a camera and took pictures of people's license plates, including ours. He got back in and sped away, out of the parking lot. We had to stay an extra two hours at the ranger station so my mom could help fill out the police report. And that concludes my experience with a lunatic. This was last year, I was living with my grandmother at the time. We had no neighbor to the left because we were at the end of a street, but on the right was a man named Rick. Rick always gave me bad vibes, he would do weird shit like sing really really loudly. So loudly we could clearly hear it into our house. He also had about 10 pit bulls in his garage, which was weird in itself but not once did I see him take even one on a walk. Poor dogs. This is the thing that got to me the most. One of my friends that had moved to Long Beach kind of along with me came over to chill one day. She parks her car and I run out to greet her because I'm annoying like that, and she sees Rick loading something into his car and she goes oh my god I know him. That's the creepy guy who hit on me and, insert friend's name here, while we were walking out of a store. Apparently he has told them that he had just moved to the area and needed cute girls to hang out with. That bugged me because Rick had lived in that house for at least five years. I confronted him about it one day and he was just super creepy about it so I walked away and sort of let it be. 
I moved away eventually, but just a few weeks ago I was browsing the internet when I found an article about the guy who played the Red Power Ranger murdering his roommate. At the bottom of the article showed a picture of the man, and what do you know? Creepy ass Rick's face. A couple of years ago, I decided to take my large dog, a 175-pound Rottweiler Mastiff, for a walk at a nearby state park. The park had many trails, but I chose the less traveled ones to avoid frequent interruptions from curious people wanting to pet my dog or ask questions. We walked across the top of the dam and through the woods, crossing a large valley and entering another set of woods. We didn't encounter any other walkers along the way. In the second set of woods, the trail was narrow, and I walked behind my dog. The trees were dense, and the vegetation along the edges of the trail reached my shoulders. As we approached a birdwatching stand, my dog suddenly stopped, growling and baring his teeth. He became increasingly agitated, looking like a scene from Cujo. I couldn't see anything that could have triggered his reaction. After calming him down, I managed to drag him to the edge of the woods. As I stood there catching my breath, I spotted a man dressed in black creeping out of the woods. Feeling alarmed, I reported him to the ranger service. They caught him shortly after, hiding in the woods with a hunting knife and duct tape. I went to high school in the early 2000, specifically 2003 to 2007. I was in band, choir and theater so I was not popular by any means. I had a fair amount of friends, and high school was fun for the most part. I live in a small coastal town of Mississippi, so it's important to know that everyone pretty much knows everyone else. Enough of that though, let's get to the actual story. Living in South Ems, everyone pretty much knows everyone. I wasn't popular in high school but I had a fair amount of friends. I had this weird way of attracting the oddest of people at school. I'm not talking about those that were goth or emo, but those that were genuinely weird. You know what I'm talking about, those people that were on the creepy side. I didn't think much of it because in my young high school mind they were just misunderstood. This one guy that I met at school, let's call him Chip, was more of a creep than I thought. He would follow me around the school talking to me about random things. He was into the card game magic, and would try to explain it to me in great detail to my disliking. I would politely tell him that I was not interested, and walk into my class. He made it a point to wait for me after each class and walk with me everywhere. He was a loner and I was starting to figure out why. I figured that he talked to me because I didn't tell him to screw off. My friends would give me grief about him, and say that he was stalking me. I would laugh it off and say he was just a weird guy that didn't know better. To give a little backstory to this, I was pretty awkward looking in my freshman and part of my sophomore years of high school. I'm tall, 5 feet 9 to be exact and during that time I was having growth spurts. I was super skinny and had boobs way too big for my tiny frame. I had not grown into myself just yet. Okay back to the story. He would tell me every day that I was the most beautiful person he had ever seen and wanted to be with me. I wasn't allowed to date at the time so I would tell him that my parents weren't allowing me to date just yet. 
He told me that he would wait for me and that we would be together one day. I just brushed it off like I always did not thinking anything of it. Fast forward to my junior year of high school. I had finally filled out. I'm still slender but I was finally getting some curves and my breasts looked much more proportional. I was driving home from school with my little sister in the truck with me. I had a red 1997 Ford Ranger XLT. I was turning off the road that my school was on and there was an old Chevy that was following me. I didn't think much of it at the time because several of my classmates lived close to me. There were a couple of main roads in my hometown. Highway 90 which is the beach highway, and railroad. They run parallel to each other. We were driving down railroad to our street and the old Chevy truck was getting closer to us. It freaked my sister out but I assured her that it wasn't anything to worry about. We pulled onto our street and then to our driveway and the truck passed us. My sister and I shook it off and walked inside. A few days later we were pulling into our driveway after school and Chip was sitting on our front doorstep. He smiled at us and waved to me. My mom works in the morning as a weekday preschool teacher so she was already home. I nodded at him and rushed my sister inside through the side door. My sister was in the 7th grade at the time. My mom just looked at me with this stern look and asked me why he was sitting on our front doorstep. I told her about him following me around at school and talking to me because he doesn't have any friends. She told me that he is not allowed to come back to the house and that I needed to ask him to leave. I told her that I would and I walked outside. I told him that he would need to leave and that my mom said that he wasn't allowed to come back to my house. He smiled and said okay and walked away. I got a really creepy feeling about him from then on out. As usual he would follow me around school every day. My senior year came and I got a job at the same preschool my mom works at. I was at work one day when I looked out my classroom window and I noticed the old Chevy truck parked in the parking lot by my truck. I got that same sick feeling that I got that day I told Chip to leave. I shook it off because I had a classroom full of kids. A few days later there was a knock on my classroom door. Now the way that the preschool was set up was in trailers with a large outside deck connecting each classroom. This was right after Hurricane Katrina and the old building was destroyed in the hurricane. My mom and the director were standing outside looking upset. I asked them what was wrong and my mom said that Chip was here looking for me. They found someone to cover for me and I stepped outside on the deck where he was standing. He approached me like he was going to give me a hug. I backed up and put my hands out in front of me. He stopped and looked hurt. I've been waiting for you he said. I asked him for what? He told me that I am more than old enough to start dating and he felt that it was time that we start dating. I told him that he was crazy and that I would not date him. I gave this super long pissed off monologue that I won't bore you with. Basically I told him in so many words to screw off and don't come near me again. He pleaded with me and then got angry when I didn't apologize to him. I stood my ground and he finally left. That was a huge mistake. I broke down and cried. I was crying so hard that I didn't realize that I had literally hit the deck. My mom took me into the office building and called the police. I relayed the conversation to them when they arrived and they took me to the station to give a formal statement and to have a restraining order put against him. I thought that would be the end of it. I was wrong. 
A few years later I have since graduated from high school and junior college. I was starting my first year at a four-year university. I was also working for an HVAC company as the office manager. Our office was in a modular home. My office was to the left of the door and there was a window in front of me letting me see who would walk into the door. The restraining order had been lifted because it was only for a couple of years. I was hoping that he had gotten the message and would leave me alone. I was in the office and I heard the door open. I was working on something in QuickBooks and politely said I'll be with you in a moment. I finished what I was doing and looked up. I felt the blood drain from my face. It was Chip. I stared at him in horror. My boss had a shotgun in my office in case someone tried to break in and harm me when I was alone. I happened to be alone at the time. I also had my boss's Belgian Malinois Sam with me as well. Sam would greet me every morning and would stay by my side all day. He was two at the time. He sat up and growled at Chip and got closer to me. I asked him what he wanted. He stood in the small foyer and smiled. I'm still waiting for you. He turned around and walked out. Sam barked at him and whined when the door slammed shut. I called my boss and told him what happened. He rushed back to the office and made sure I was okay. I told him that I was and was thankful that Sam was with me. At the time I was living with my boyfriend, now husband, and told him what happened. My boss told me that I could have Sam as my dog as long as I brought him to work with me every day. I thanked him because Sam had become really attached to me. I brought Sam home with me and still have him to this day. My boss's other dog had puppies. She was a pit bull and my boss gave me one of her puppies. We named him Breezy and he and Sam are best friends. I left the company after I was offered a job in the town I live in now. My boss told me that Sam was mine to keep and I was grateful for that. Fast forward a year. That last bit was in 2012-2013. My boyfriend and I are now married. The wedding was beautiful and we have been happily married. I'm still at the job that I left my previous job for. I was leaving work one evening. It was early December 2014 so it was dark out when I left. My boss knew my former boss and lets me bring Sam with me to work. It's a small office that does exotic car repair. I was in the office by myself most of the time but the garage was connected to the office. As I was leaving Sam stopped and started barking and growling at something in the shadows by the office building. That was the last thing I remember. I woke up in the middle of an abandoned park. It used to be a popular park where families would bring their kids to play on the swing sets. It was privately owned and the man who owned it died so it became abandoned. I couldn't tell where I was because it was so dark. I couldn't find my phone or purse. I saw something moving in the distance I realized that I was tied to the old swing set pole. The figure got closer and I could see who it was. It was Chip. I screamed but he rushed over and covered my mouth with his hands. I stared at him in horror. I waited for you he said. My eyes got wide. I waited and waited and waited but you never came to me. That upsets me. By this time he had let my mouth go and had turned his back to me. I wriggled my hands a bit to see if I could get free. I couldn't get my hands free but I noticed that the pole wiggled. He still had his back turned to me and was talking nonsense. I don't remember what he said because that's when my adrenaline kicked in.
I have been taking kickboxing classes for some time now. I started the classes to get in shape for the wedding and I loved it so I continued. I looked behind me and noticed that the pole that I was tied to was really short. I pulled it out of the ground quite easily and adjusted myself to bring my hands in front of me. I quietly stood up and approached him. I swung my arms and heard the pole connect with his head. He hit the ground with a thud. He was a large man but not very muscular. I ran to where I knew the road was and found his truck parked on the side of the road. I looked in and saw my purse and things on the passenger side. I found an old pocket knife on the driver's seat and cut myself free. He was an idiot and had left the keys in the truck. I thanked God for that. I started the truck and peeled away. I went straight to the police station and told them what happened. They took my report and I called my husband to come get me. He came with my parents and we hugged and cried for a long time. I asked them where Sam was and if he was okay. Apparently when I blacked out Sam attacked the guy and he beat him pretty badly. My boss found him and had called my husband after he couldn't find me. They had taken Sam to the local vetter. He was badly hurt but survived. The police went to the site where I was and they couldn't find him. He had disappeared. Fast forward to Valentine's Day 2015 we were celebrating at home with our dogs and cat paws. I went to check the mail and saw a letter with no return address. I walked inside and opened it and there was a small piece of paper that said I'll be waiting for you. I dropped the note and cried. We took it to the police to add it to my case file. 2016 came and went without issue. Until Christmas. I was getting ready to go to my parents' house while my husband put the presents in the car. I walked out of the house ready to go and my husband looked at me with a scared look on his face. He just looked at me and cut his eyes to a spot around the car. I walked around and saw Chip. He was holding a crowbar like he was ready to bash my husband's head in. I had my Bluetooth headset on and made sure that I was half hiding behind my car. I held my phone and dialed 911. I heard the dispatcher and said Mama? It's me Sarah. The dispatch asked me what the emergency was. I told her that we would be running late because an old friend had shown up. The dispatch asked what my address was. I said oh I thought I had texted it to my sister already I'm sorry it's. And I gave her my address. She said that the police were on their way. I said that sounds great I'll see y'all in a bit. I hung up and smiled and apologized about that. He smiled and said that he was tired of waiting for me and wanted me to come with him. I stood there and told him no he waved the crowbar side to side in his hand behind my husband's head. My husband is a very fit man. He quickly turns around and elbowed him in the head. At that time the police pull up and arrested him. I gave them another statement along with my husband and they said that they would update us on the case. We went to my parents house spent some time with them and we went home. It's been some time since his arrest and no word on what has happened. I keep looking over my shoulder in fear that he will be there. Sam doesn't leave my side. He goes with me everywhere that dogs are allowed. If Sam can't go my husband does. I don't know what will happen but I want to move on with my life. Maybe one day I will be able to. I remember what he said when they put him in the police car. I'm still waiting for you. I'll always be waiting for you. Update, I just got off the phone with my lawyer and he has not bonded out yet. 
The court date is set for February 7th. I will update after court. Update 2. Court was uneventful to a point. We heard statements from both his and my lawyers. They pleaded insanity on his behalf. He's not insane. I wanted my lawyer to push for life without possibility of parole. The judge said that we would have to obtain information to overturn the insanity plea. My lawyer is currently poring over school academic records and previous jobs that he has held to prove that he isn't insane. I've been trying to process this information for some time. I can't believe they would try to pass him off as insane. We will be back in court on Monday. It's Thursday night. I'll be home alone for the weekend. My husband and his best friend will be out of town for business. It'll be just me, Sam, and Boz. I'm nervous but I know he is still in the county jail until our next hearing. I will update as soon as I can. My boss gave me Friday off so I can stay home in the safety and comfort of my home. We installed a state-of-the-art alarm system with cameras and everything. It makes me feel a little better. I won't be going anywhere this weekend either. This was not what I wanted but it's better than him walking the streets, and possibly trying to abduct me again. Update 3, it's been a while since I have updated this. My lawyer was able to temporarily overturn the insanity plea, because of the information he found. The judge told him to his face that he believed he wasn't insane but that he was psychotic. There was no ruling because his lawyer doesn't think he is fit to be in jail but wants to put him in an institution so that he can get help. I think that he is beyond help and needs to be locked away for good. The judge said they have to prove that he truly needs help and appointed a psychologist to run some extensive tests. I'm afraid that they will find him to be mentally unstable and put him in a mental health facility instead of jail. This is not how I wanted this to go. I will update again when I get some news.